This week we take a short break from our sermon series as we focus on confirmation. Our confirmation student, one of our youth confirmations, Jacob Sillen, was confirmed this week. Riley is going to be confirmed later on in the summer. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 15, 2016, and this is Jacob's confirmation verse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series, Mountains of the Bible, but we're not going to, we're going to take a skip from that because it's Confirmation Sunday, so I'm going to spend some time with the verse that Jacob picked, so he got to pick his own confirmation verse just as Riley did, so it, we'll try and arrange it so when Riley, um, that I'm here to preach for Riley's confirmation, that would be important, and preach on the verse that she picked. Uh, the, the verse that Jacob picked is from Isaiah chapter 40, and it says, uh, Uh, Chapter 40, and it's verse 31. So the first part is here. Uh, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Uh, Someone just asked me this literally last week. They said, what's the deal with the book of Isaiah? And do you know what they're talking about? (laughs) The deal with the book of Isaiah, which is so challenging, is the first half of it, the first 39 chapters, are really gloomy. Like when people, their favorite verses, half the confirmation verses come from the book of Isaiah, but the first half is like, Really intense. And here's the situation. I'll try and explain it. Imagine you've got a friend who is maybe involved with like stealing stuff, or you've got a friend who's involved with uh, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or something like that. At some point, you're saying to them, or maybe they cheat in school, and you're like, this is going to catch up to you. This is not good. This is not a good situation. And so what are you telling them to do? Stop. Right, And, and you, you say it again and again. And maybe they're addicted to something and it's ruining their life. You say, you've got to stop because this does not end well. Well, eventually they get sick of hearing it, right? Has that ever happened to you? You give people advice because they're making bad choices. No, am I the only one who gives people advice when they make bad choices? Okay, so normally you do this and you're like, this has got to stop. And they don't stop because they get, eventually get sick of it. Well, now imagine that your friend, it it goes to the length, maybe they drink and drive or something like that. I just saw a a short film which showed a man in prison who had killed someone because he um, drank and drive. Drank and drink? That sounds wrong. Drank and drive? He drunk it and drive. And because of this, so he's in the restroom of this nightclub, and they show him, and the mirror then turns into a TV. And then, well, the guys go to wash their hands, and they're holding their drink while they're washing their hands. He goes, hey. And then they have this exchange where he says, you know, I was in that same spot you were in. Do not do what I'm doing. Well, at some point when you're in prison, if I go to visit someone who's in prison and they recognize my life is in shambles, this is not, or maybe they're divorced because of an affair. Maybe their family, uh, they're seeing all this stuff trail behind because of alcoholism or they lose their job. And they say, you know, I realize I've made so many mistakes. Now what do I do? Do you think I step in and say, I told you so? Let me just show you some emails I showed you previously. No, no, and at that point, they're just longing to hear, is my life just done? And the same thing happened for the people of Israel. So just imagine God is saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want this to be good. And the people are saying, eh, no thanks. And so God warns them that this is not going to end well. This is not going to be good through his prophets. So for 39 chapters, he warns them. And finally, 
he writes the last half of that book, not quite half, but he writes that last chapter to a group of people who are now in exile. They get taken away to Babylon. Here's one of a uh, historic painting of it. There's Jerusalem being destroyed in the background, and they sh- ship off all the smartest and brightest people, and they take them to Babylon, which would include like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he starts chapter 40. This is, there's a distinctive switch. Sometimes they call it Isaiah 2, because there's like Isaiah book 1 almost in Isaiah 2. This is how it starts. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The word comfort here is really, naham is the word, and it's really interesting because the word for comfort has the same word as repentance. And I think that's kind of cool because usually you don't think of it that way. Like, you need comfort, repent, right? Because sometimes we look at, like, that's the worst thing, right? If you've got a kid and they do something wrong, and you say, okay, you got to go and repent and tell this person what you did wrong. Do they look forward to that? How many kids are like, that's a great idea, Mom. I'd love to do that. I should confess my sins to someone and admit that I was wrong, because I know all adults like to admit they are wrong, right? They just lead by your example. They see it so often. No one likes to do this. But God is saying real healing comes. Real comfort comes when you're weighed down, and you've been there. You've evolved in sin. You're involved with something that holds you back. You're realizing something is keeping me from this relationship, and you repent that to God, and the weight that comes off when that sin is no longer on your shoulders, it's comfort. The word is is used a different way, too. It has the same idea of um, like a deep breath, like if you go way back to the roots. And I think that's super interesting, too. Naham has this idea of like a horse breath, like this huge... And that happens two different ways too, doesn't it? Have you ever been overwhelmed, like at work? You ever been overwhelmed at school and you have so much stuff to do or you're at home and you've got so many things to do and you're just sitting there um, and, and you just take this big breath and just go, like you're just distraught. Like, where's my next step? It's strange that the same thing happens when the answer comes clear. You're totally overwhelmed and you find out like there is a solution. Have you ever breathed a sigh of relief that's just a big, wow, I'm so happy right here. So, so, so close are those things, this deep breath of despair and this deep breath of comfort. And I think this is interesting. God says, comfort, comfort my people. So in a sense, they can repent to God. Why can they repent to God? Because their hard service is over. God, and so we could probably stop the sermon here and be good. Where do we find comfort? We find comfort in Christ that he has paid for our sins and we have a right relationship with God. Comfort, though, doesn't always work like that, Jacob, and you picked this verse, so I get to, we're going to get there. Comfort has another idea, and when we say it, rarely would you say comfort is repentance. Like, if you're crying and my son or your daughter or somebody's crying and they come to me, they're so distraught, they need comfort, rarely am I going to say, well, repent. They're like, no, I just, want, I just want like a hug right now. Comfort actually comes from our Latin word, so I get to bust out some Latin today. Does anyone know, any guesses what this means? You can figure out the fortis. So cum just means like with, and fortis, you could guess like if you have intestinal fortitude, strength. So it means with strength, which is really strange because if you are overwhelmed with something, sometimes it's the strength of those mother's arms. We gave that example from Irma Bombach last week. The strength of your mother's arms or your father's arms to protect you, they give you strength. So you feel like, I can face this. Sometimes, though, comfort comes when you feel prepared to go take it on. 
Uh, we were at a friend's house, and we were ta- discussing if we could jump over an eight-foot hole. This is all normal, right? And I think I shared, I might have shared this with you. So we were discussing if we could jump over an eight-foot hole, and why be hypothetical? Instead, we got out the tape measure and, and set up our draw jump to see if we could jump eight feet, right? We can. We can safely, some of the time. So, so eight feet is a big deal. Now, what happens, though? So you've tested this out, right? I can explode just like the, the NFL combine. I can go eight feet. You know, I feel confident in that. What happens if said, you think you can jump two feet? I feel comfortable if someone challenged me to jump two feet. Very comfortable, right? So that's, there's comfort in knowing that you can actually do that. So sometimes, and you pick this, there's comfort. And usually when we think of comfort, though, we think of like sitting on a beach, right? And, and enjoying like an all-you-can-eat, uh, not all-you-can-eat, well, maybe all you can eat, an all, all-inclusive resort. Like, this is ideal, right? Or it's in the wintertime. Someone just shared this with me. They said they didn't want to move from Colorado because they liked the seasons. They liked the idea of getting socked in with snow and, and turning on the crock pot and, like, hanging out with your kids with a blanket. This is very lovely and comfortable, right? But sometimes comfort, we talk about comfort zones, and I think there's some truth to that. So now you have to use my illustrations, Jacob, and pay attention. Those are two things. So within your comfort zone, there's right now, you're hopefully in the best place. Everybody here, the best place for you right now. And right now, hopefully, each of you is the most comfortable, best spot for you. But does that best place for you stay put? Never. So when you're in your mother's womb, where's the best place you should be? In your mother's womb. What happens for a baby? Why is it so terrified when they go, here's the best place for them, they go out of the womb early? It's terrifying, right? It's not good for them. They can't heal. They can't do the same things. Their lungs might not fully develop. It's a scary time, and we have oxygen, and we're doing all these things. Why? Because this is the best place for them, and somehow they got pushed out of it. We ideally would just function in life like this, right? We just move along. But what has to happen for us to move on to the next place, which is the best place for you. You need the strength to get pushed a little. Some of you in the military have probably heard this. They asked a paratrooper once. They said, uh, you're a paratrooper. How many times have you jumped out of an airplane? He says, none. And they said, I thought you were a paratrooper. He said, well, I've been pushed out a number of times. <laughs> right? That's like with strength, right? This is the best thing for that paratrooper is to learn how to jump out of an airplane because that's part of his job. That isn't the best part right before that was being in an airplane, right? And so that's how it works and that's how it works in your life. You're going to have people all along the way that are encouraging and sometimes it's going to feel like they're pushing you a little bit too far. Someday it's not best for you to write just to stay in this place. This is where you're at. You're, what, 14 years old? 14 years old, you get your mother's cooking. Do you get that forever? Because the best thing for you keeps moving, right? Uh, right now, you get to play video games. You could probably do that for a while, actually. That goes for a while. Right, right, you know, right now, you have the comfort of relatives. Right now, you've got, you look at your math. How many of you have dreamed, if you've played sports or done like, or um, you've done schoolwork, and you think, man, I wish I was back when I was a freshman. My girls do this all the time. They go back and they say, man, I wish I had your assignments. Well, when you had the assignments then, they were hard. In sports, you can look back and say, I wish I could go back to junior high. And you might even think that next year, because I could dominate sports, like Gary. I'll just give an example from my childhood. Who I wonder why he was so good at the, the elementary school track meet. He was 15 and a half years old. No wonder he was so good. I'm like, how can you long jump like that, Gary? And he said, I don't know. And he shaved his mustache. <laughs> right. So 
there's a certain point, though, so this is the hardest part as you get pushed along. And I think all of us are saying, are you in the right spot? If you go too far, it's uncomfortable and it's scary. If you get left behind, that's not a good situation either, and you're like, time to move on with life. The hardest part, I think, is you've got to trust the people who are pushing you. Right? You've got to tr- trust maybe your spouse who's saying, you know what, maybe we should, we should stretch a little here and do this. You've got to str- trust a coach. You've got to trust your parents. You've got to trust your teachers. And you're going to find your parents, believe it or not, sometimes will make mistakes. And you'll wonder, is this the best thing for me? You're going to find a time where your coach is and you're going to say, is this really the best thing for me? You're going to find a time where uh, your grandparents are pushing you and you think, is this really what's best for me? And you're going to go to work one day and you're going to have a manager who sometimes does things right. And then you're going to realize, is this really the best thing for me? This is where it shakes down to. What kind of God do we have? The God who is pushing you. It says this, do you not know? If you ever had doubts, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's been around forever. The creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. Your parents are going to get tired. I'm going to get tired. Family's going to get tired. We're going to make mistakes. But God, in his understanding, we cannot fathom. God does not make mistakes. And we could talk a long time about your physical development and emotional development and things like that. But right now, I want to say, you went to three years of class to study God's word, and there's a reason for it. Because God's word doesn't change. And you're going to go out into a world, as they, they said, they, a French, uh, they claim, this is probably a sermon story, but they claim a French uh, monarch said, I'm going to persecute the Christians. And then his statesman said, that I don't think that's a good idea. Because the Christian church, the church of God, is an anvil with many worn out hammers around it. You're going to go out into the world, and I wish my kids, I wish you could just hang out with your parents and be comfortable, but eventually you have a family of your own. Eventually you go to college. Eventually, you meet other people, and you know what's going to happen? People are going to try and hammer on your faith. They're going to try and hammer and say God's word is irrelevant. They're going to hammer on the word of God that you look at when it talks about what it means for marriage for you. They're going to hammer on it when it means like what morals are. When you're making life choices, they're going to roll their eyes, and you're going to feel stupid sometimes. It's an anvil with a lot of worn-out hammers around it. And God's word is the same. And there's countless names of people who have tried to take God's word down, and it does not last. Now to your verse. He gives strength to the weary. This is the God who, of all power, and that's why we spend so much time in his word. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. In that time where people are beating on God's word, sometimes it's going to feel like, God, they're beating on you, right? You ever felt alone? You ever felt overwhelmed? You ever get involved in something and you think, this is way over my head? Maybe it's an addiction to food. Maybe it's addiction to drugs. Maybe it's addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's addiction to pornography. And you think, I'm just drowning here and I don't know what to do. I, I, don't, I don't know how to handle this. Maybe you've been working on your marriage and it feels like you're taking like, Two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes, though, it feels like you take one step forward and two back, doesn't it? And you're trying to work on these relationships, and it seems like nothing is going wrong, uh, going right. And you work at work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you think, like, I'm a failure. I'm not functioning. I'm not the dad my kids want. I'm not the employee my employee wants. I'm not the spouse my spouse needs. 
Then you step back and you say, God, I am so overwhelmed. And this is what God says to you through his word. Not only are you forgiven in Christ, but cum fortes, I'm going to comfort you with the strength I'm going to give you. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You can't preach on eagles without the, the fable of the eagle and the turkey. You guys all know this, right? Well, it's told two ways. It, it starts usually like this. Someone says, how can I soar like an eagle when I'm surrounded by turkeys? The, it's told two different ways, and I've heard it all kinds of different ways. This might be super familiar with you. So the idea is this. This farmer finds an eagle, because who doesn't find like a small eaglet just around their farm. I mean, that happens frequently. So this farmer finds this, don't worry about the details of the story, finds this eaglet and he starts raising this eagle. We're going to call it the bald eagle. He starts raising this bald eagle along with his chickens or his turkeys, which sounds more dramatic. Probably chickens because eagles eat chickens. So, okay, so he's, he's raised with these chickens and he raises it up and of course the eagle's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it just thinks he's, he thinks he's like uh, Elf from the movie, you know, he's like, he doesn't see anything wrong, and he looks around, and suddenly there's this eagle soaring in the sky, and the way the story is told, that the the eagle looks up, and he says, hey, what are those, and the chickens go, oh, that's an eagle, he's like, wow, that would be awesome, they're like, you can't do that, you're a chicken, so he goes back to eating his food, that's one way, have you heard that story before, and then they give you dramatic, are you going to be a chicken, or are you going to be an eagle? Is that dramatic enough? Is that dramatic? Okay. I, I think there's a second way that, I, that makes more sense. I think there's a second way that makes more sense. When the whole story is all the same, but they said it a different way. They say that the eagle up above is the father eagle, and he lets out a call to his son. And he hears it, and he, and he thinks, this, this instinctively makes sense to me. And so he starts to, you know, it's slow at first, and he starts to get his wings going, and eventually he's soaring with his father. Which story do you like better? I like the second one. Because we get involved in a whole lot of stuff, and you're going to get involved in stuff that's not super awesome. And as you try and find answers and put trust in people, you're going to get bad advice, and you're going to turn away from God's word at times, and you're going to think, hey, this is drinking until I'm drunk at a party is way more fun than doing God's word. Or having this relationship is more fun than God's word. Or saying and talking this way is more fun than God's word. Or this entertainment is better than God's word. Or, you know, you go down the list. You're going to get advice from all kinds of places that say this is where you should hang out. This is where it's at. But then you hear the call of the Father. Who says, Jacob, Sillon, you are not meant for this. And you can talk to any single person here. Any single person here. That when they're overwhelmed and they're dissipated in the world of this, they hear God's voice. And through Christ, they know they're forgiven. They know you're not meant for here. You're not meant for addiction. You're not meant for troubles. You're not meant for this. God is saying, come fly with me. Come fly in my grace. Come fly in my strength. Come fly in what it means to be a believer. Come fly to know what it means to have peace and hope and not even worry about what the world thinks. Because all those worn-out hammers are in the bottom, and God is up top, and you're flying with him. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, so many of us look at this world for answers, and it seems like 
things are appealing. It seems like lives are better than our lives. We look at the trouble and sorrow. But we know, as you comforted the people of Isaiah, who probably felt overwhelmed in Babylon, but in a day you took down the government of Babylon and you brought them back. In a day you changed us through faith in you. Help us to live a life that is not uh, hunkered down in this world, but instead help us to soar. Help us to soar in the forgiveness of your son. Help us to soar in that love and let that be something that we can instill in our families, instill in ourselves as we live and walk with you. Amen.